This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train, and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. At a recent broadcast event, we were joined by Richard Annis, who leads King's Church in Manchester, and Richard was talking about how we can make big leadership decisions in our churches. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that message. Just to let you know as well that this coming Thursday night, which is the 27th of October, we have a hangout that we would love for you to join us with, with Steve Addison, who will be talking about how we can multiply churches and multiply disciples. You can find out all of the details about that at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. And for the full notes on this episode of the podcast, go to www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 50. Leadership um, decisions, because um, that's I hope that's what you're expecting. Because that's what um, Colin asked me um, to speak about. Um, leaders have to make um, decisions all the time. Um, actually, we all have to make decisions all the time, don't we? Because actually, nothing would ever happen um, if you didn't make decisions. And some of them we're conscious about, some of them we're less conscious about. I mean, you may not consciously be decided, but you are decided not to walk out right now. Um, by the fact that you're still sat here and our whole day is just like filled with um, decisions and so without corporate decisions without decisions as a community without the church having decisions nothing would happen we wouldn't achieve anything we wouldn't go anywhere we wouldn't probably make any mistakes either um, but we we wouldn't do anything we wouldn't get anywhere Um, and of course there were there are all kinds of ways of making decisions. Um, there's all kinds of ways that leadership teams function, aren't there, in um, making decisions um, together. So because, uh, like I said, um, I came um, from this kind of traditional church background, not having grown up in it, but from a, as a teenager, came to Manchester and was wowed by this sense of, wow, there's this lively church. I mean, I thought I'd found Acts, um, and it was only after I joined the leadership that I discovered it wasn't perfect, but until that point, I was blissfully unaware. I mean, I thought Steve was perfect, and then I discovered the truth, but... (laughs) (laughs) So, um... So one of the one, I mean, I am so thankful and grateful for many, many aspects of of our kind of heritage as a church and things that I've learned and things that the guys that planted it and that were involved apostolically with the church. So many core values that I really, really cherish and, and hold on to. I guess one of one of the kind of emphasis though, and, and there's a good side to this, but there's also a tension in it as well, was the amount of emphasis that was placed on kind of um, God's amount of power for the hour, um, the, the sense of um, we're looking for heroic leaders who always know what to do in every situation, and they're so full of the anointing, and the, the Spirit is so powerfully upon them that they just hear what God is saying constantly, all of the time, and as they speak it forth, it becomes the word of God to us, because, you know, these are the anointed leaders, those kind of Moses-like 
figures that come down from the mountaintop. And, I, you know, I had loads of words given to me on the mountain of the Lord that will be provided. And, and, of course, there's truth. There's truth in God wants to speak to us and direct us. And he wants us to be heroic in, in our courage to, to stand up for what he's said to us. But I guess it's fair to say that in, in my mind there was, there was probably quite a lot of subconscious pressure to live up to this idea of if you're going to lead, basically your job is to be right. Yeah, and I guess that that would be one of the things, if, if nothing else, that you know some of you look like you know by your nodding and smiling that you've already worked it out. Um, but just in case there's anyone that hasn't, I just want to kind of like relieve you of the pressure of having to be right um, all the time. I remember quite distinctly um, the first um, elders meeting after I've been asked to take on. Um, the leading role amongst the team. And I went in and I was kind of like chairing the meeting and we were making decisions. And we got to one thing and I kind of said, I think we need to do this. I can't remember what it was, but I just remember how I felt in the next moment. When one by one we went round and every single person disagreed with me. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's it then. I just remember the feeling, I've blown it then. I can't go any further. I've just like been wrong. How are they ever going to follow me ever again? How are they ever going to have any confidence in me? They actually think I'm wrong about something. And it was quite a powerful moment because I realized how distressed I was with that situation. But then actually how freeing it was to realize that it didn't seem to have dented anybody's conviction or belief that this was the right person, that this was, you know, God was using this person for leadership to our team. And yet, they didn't think that I was right about everything. They were, they were quite clear that I wasn't right about everything, that I had many imperfections, and yet they still believed that I was the right, you know, God's choice in our context um, to take on that, that role. So despite a, a really high value place in our context at that time on, on, on authority and God's anointing and, and, and forthright leadership, just having to realize you know, God does move by his spirit. He does give us authority. But we're not perfect and we're not right all the time. And I think that's that's so important because even if we know it in theory, I think sometimes there's a, there's a subconscious pressure. There's a pressure that we can carry as leaders that says people want answers and they want to know what to do. And I think I've had to consciously choose to disavow people of that belief. I to stay healthy myself and for our team to stay healthy. I've had to choose because actually it can be tempting at times to allow people you know, you, you find particular people some people, they just like make it blatantly obvious they don't think you've got a clue right from the start but other people, they kind of like will treat you really special and you're the anointed leader and, and particularly depending on what cultural groups you're working with, some cultural groups express that more than others and um, and, and our church has a particular large amount of multicultural kind of, you know, lots of people who would want to say, wow, you're the pastor, um, bow down before you. And, and we actually, you know, as tempting as it can be on occasions to kind of like, you know, suck some of that stuff up, um, I, we've had to consciously choose to say we're not going to go down that route. We're going to try and build a healthy sense of, yes, we believe in leadership, but we're not going to have this idea that we're going to get it right all the time. And so I guess one of my top kind of tips 
would be um, just come to terms now, if you haven't already, that you are going to make lots of wrong decisions um, in your leadership journey. Um, and just just get over that and live with that. Um, and then I think it'll be a lot less stressful for the next. You, obviously, the great thing about being somewhere like this is, you know, I can leave it and come and say, that was all load rubbish. Ignore everything you said. Um, so, so yeah, let's let's do away um, with that pressure. Um, so, how do we how do we go about making decisions? So, I'm just going to kind of outline a few things that I've tried to do, and then talk about two situations: one which I think we got right, and one which I think turned out to be wrong. Um, so, I think you know we apply biblical understanding, don't we? We in approaching a decision. I mean, sometimes it's a little thing, we just do it subconsciously, but, but sometimes it's a bigger decision. and So we actually come with biblical understanding, don't we? It's just the importance of laying that foundation in our lives. It's like you're preparing for those decisions all the time by feeding on the Word of God, by you know making sure that you're in a good place in your spirit, by speaking in tongues, by you know having devotional time with the Lord. You, you make sure you're in spiritual health so that when that time comes, you, you're drawing on a foundation. Just like when Jesus you know, came down uh, and the, the, the disciples couldn't cast out um, the evil spirit and he said, well, this type only comes out with prayer and fasting and then he cast it out. Well, unless you, you count like those 30 seconds as a time of prayer and fasting, I mean, I can do that kind of fasting all the time. I'm not even the last minute. <laughs> I holy. But you kind of, you, you assume then that, Jesus, that this is part of what he's been doing and that that's part of any drawing on that when the need arises in the moment. And I think that is actually, we miss that so often because we wait for the big crisis to happen. Now I've got to make a decision. But actually, you've got to invest into those crises all of the time. Do you know what I mean? We've, we've got to be building up a rich deposit, a rich repertoire, a rich, strong foundation on which we can, we can draw. So our biblical understanding and using the wisdom that God has given us is really, really important. Um, but of course, yeah, we listen from prophetic direction. And I guess my own kind of background and, and history you know, has always pushed me towards that, that kind of like, what is God saying um, in the moment? And that, that's entirely relevant, isn't it? We want to hear um, what God is saying. And, and all of us hear God in different ways. Um, and I guess my thing on that would always be just allowing enough time, allowing enough time. Um, my experience is that very few decisions are as urgent as as they first seem. And I know there's a tension truth in this. I know that sometimes you know leaders can can have the opposite challenge and they can be dilly dallying and, and they're afraid to make a decision and nothing ever happens. And so I guess you have to kind of hold that tension. But but most people that come to you with a crisis. If you've got any experience of dealing with people at all, you tend to realize after a while that it's never as urgent as they think it is in that moment. Um, and, you know, I need to see you tomorrow because I've got to make a decision by the end of the day. And, and often that's not actually um, the case. Or, I need, you know, we need to do this in the church. We've got to put this in place. Just giving a little bit of time and space to hear God, to weigh what he's saying. And I think another one that I would say is really important is to listen to others, to listen to people around us. Um, so, so um, important. Hearing God's wisdom through, hearing God's word, God's prophetic voice through people around us, bouncing things around, 
uh, and giving ourselves that time and space to hear God in it. I think another one is checking your motives. Um, checking your own motives, being self-aware enough um, to know what what would be my predisposition here, what would what would make life easier for me in this situation, and am I tempted towards that because it would make life easier for me, or I'm, or I'm anxious about the confrontation I might face. If I'm someone who doesn't like confrontation, um, am I trying to avoid confrontation? If I'm someone who actually gets a kick out of confrontation, am I trying to take someone on for the sake of it, just, just to prove I can? So it's knowing yourself, isn't it? Knowing your own motives, knowing your own dispositions, and where you're more likely to veer towards, and therefore you know, being careful enough to avoid those things. Um, ask for more wisdom because if anyone lacks wisdom they should ask God and believe that he'll give it to them and he will um, so that's a good one and um, like I say listen to people so a decision that turned out to be wrong a decision that, that turned out to be wrong okay so you might have to ask me a little bit about this because I'm not quite sure if I've worked out all the processes that were involved but um, a while ago, a few years ago, I really felt we we've been kind of around bobbing along around kind of 700, 750 people in the church, um, and had a real sense of God wanting to grow us um, as a church. And we were meeting um, in King's House, the building we talked about, um, and we had multiple meetings there. Um, and I really felt. God speak to me, and I, I kind of been, we've been stuck around that number for a while, and I was kind of like, how do we grow this? And I really felt God speak to me and say, think not next in terms of a thousand, but think next in terms of two thousand. So I was like, great, I heard the Lord. Um, here we go. So I go back to our team. I'm like, we have to have um, a different venue. We've got to move. Um, let's start looking around. We start looking around the city. People are like, bring me these these venues to look at. I'm like, no, it's got to have an auditorium for 2,000 people, and it's got to have breakout rooms and youth rooms and everything as well. I think at one point we're going to have the biggest, best soft play area in the city as well, um, so that all the kids would come and they'd be like, this is amazing. Um, and I was like, this is what we're going after, because God has spoken. Think not next in terms of a thousand. I would not countenance anything less than 2,000 seats um, in an auditorium. We were laying hands on the um, Odeon up on Oxford Road. Um, we were walking around, um, some of you might know um, what used to be the Ilford building. is now like a, um, a gym and an Aldi and a, something else at, um, near the railway station. We were going around that. We all put suits on to go and try and convince the, um, the letting agent that we were serious and not having no people. Um, we were looking at the old fire station um, near Dilly Railway Station. We, we were just like, you know, looking at all of these places and nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. We weren't getting anywhere. We, we met with this um, foundation who'd set themselves up to help, you know, churches that were going to take the world by storm to get better properties, and, and that all fell through, and nothing came of it. Um, so it was a decision based on what I thought I'd heard that just didn't go anywhere um, and never happened. Um, and so I suppose that for us in that situation, how we came to realize it was the wrong decision was just it wasn't working. Um, nothing was, nothing seemed to be coming together, and, and that can be challenging, kind of, because 
I think probably a number of you have been in this situation where it's like, when do I say, actually, this isn't working and I've got it wrong? And when do I say, I've just got to hold on in there. The enemy is against me and he's just throwing all these things in my way and I've got to press on through. And, and that, I guess, comes down to hearing God, doesn't it? Um, to hearing God through prophetic word, through wisdom, through all the things that we've done. How much was it in the leadership team? Oh, everyone knew. We were like, <laughs> going for it. We've got a big building. I don't think I mentioned the soft player. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, when you say you've you literally go to God, uh, I mean, what was that? Well, so I think that the important thing was, I, I still think I heard God on think not next in terms of a thousand, think next in terms of two thousand. But as so often happens, we then add to that, or we interpret that in the context of our like preconceived ideas and what we think that's going to look like. So, you know, a few new churches have arrived in the city. So this was great news to me that actually we were going to be the biggest church after all um, and have the most impressive facility. And, you know, because... All of those subconscious things go on inside of you. The pressure of, you know, once we were, people were saying we were the biggest, and now Audacious has arrived. And so we all have something audacious, and I'd go through thinking of the different adjectives that we could call ourselves. Um, so, so all of those filters, all of those things that you kind of have to work through. And so I think I just interpreted it in terms of God was saying, think next in terms of a couple of thousand. And I assume that must mean bigger building, everyone together in one place, gigantic facility. Thank you, Jesus. Did any of you know the leaders question it? No, they were pretty excited. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Um, in that particular context, uh, at that time, no. What's really interesting is that we, in our history, had been multi-congregational as a church um, and um, it didn't really kind of end too well um, in the sense of we had some real challenges in, in leadership at the time and we weren't we weren't a together kind of we weren't a united leadership um, in the church and for various reasons complications we ended up kind of pulling everything um, back together and I was kind of I wasn't leading the team then but I was involved in leadership and I was kind of a bit burned by that experience and I was like well then clearly that doesn't work and we're never doing that again um, so I think that probably fed in as well into my like no it must be just um, one thing because we tried something it hadn't worked so I definitely wasn't doing that again that's you know congregations is a whole load of rubbish um, very kind of to that <laughs> <laughs> how did you and them go wrong uh, now that's really interesting because I remember um, I remember one time my predecessor announcing that we basically made a tough decision and we were U-turning, but, but he had this brilliant analogy of when you go tacking in a boat <laughs> and, you, and when the wind's against you, you have to go, I didn't know this, but apparently you have to go one way and then you have to turn around and you're still going forward, but you're seemingly going in the opposite direction. <laughs> I thought this was brilliant. I was like, wow, so you can do a complete U-turn and still be 
be moving forward. <laughs> so feel free to use that. <laughs> but actually, no, I just, um, we just had to say... Uh, we did burn up the seat. <laughs> <laughs> but we just had to say, no, we've, we've got it wrong. Um, I think that has been one of the things in our... I think people would actually say this in our church. One of the things that, that I brought into our culture of leadership is the ability to apologize. Um, so um, people, I kind of feel like I'm not sure I want to be constantly known for that because it kind of implies that you get it wrong all the time. Um, but um, yeah, just to say, hey, look, we think we, we didn't get this right, um, uh, or yeah, we think actually God's got something different for us, or, or, or try to explain. We think this is what God said, and we got that right, but actually we made some assumptions here, and and we think that they weren't actually what God was saying to us. Well, I certainly think that we have to do away with a fear of doing that. So I think we have to be prepared to try things. And I guess this is what I'm saying about the whole thing of getting over the pressure of getting it right every time, because we're so scared of getting it wrong, we won't try anything. Um, and I think we're trying to build a culture now that says, we're not totally clueless in that we've got a framework, we've got a vision, we've got somewhere to go. But it's like it doesn't seem like God has, after all, given us every single detail along the way. And it seems to be that he wants us to have a go sometimes um, and try things and be... I wonder if that's almost part of the joy of partnering with God, yeah. is that he says, you know, actually go and have a go. Um, my um, son recently... Um, was helping me mow the lawn um, for the first time. It probably shouldn't have been the first time. I probably should have been doing this a long time ago. Um, 16, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> helping me mow the lawn. And, um, and I, you know, I just thought, I don't want to be on his case. I don't want to be moaning at him. So I'm going to be really empowering. So I said, I said to him, right, you, you need to mow the lawn. He's like, all right, yeah, off I go. And I said, you just need to be really careful because it's dead easy to cut that cable. So you just need to keep that cable out of the way. As I walked away, I thought, he is going to cut the cable. Um, now, I had put a circuit breaker um, on the lawnmower, so I knew that he was safe. Um, so I just got, I only got as far as the back of the house, and I heard the circuit breaker click um, in the house. And then he comes, he comes around the corner, just like so dejected, fighting back the tears in his eyes, holding up this cable that he's just cut in two. And it's kind of like, I knew he was going to cut the cable, but I had to let him, I knew it was, it was like I made a decision in that moment to walk away and let him have a go, actually knowing that he was about to cut the cable in half because I'd seen the way he was going at it. Um, but it was still, I think that was still a more successful moment than if I'd just been stood over him, like constantly moving the cable out of the way all the time, saying, now do it like this, now do it like this. And I think probably he'll... You know, and actually, then we sat down and repaired it together, and then I made him carry on and do the, the lawn. And he probably was a lot more careful with the cable as a result of that experience than if I'd been constantly monitoring it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think God God lets us, and I think we've got to empower one another to have a go and to try things and to have a. It's, a, it's about then having boundaries, isn't it? About having a framework. Um, 
what's good because I'm going to say it a bit later, but um, I felt God, when I was kind of like thinking about what I was going to share with you guys, I felt God say to me, your best decisions, your best leadership decisions are decisions that create space. Uh, and I was like, okay, that's a bit out of the blue, what, what's that all about? Um, and I started reflecting on the fact that so often the sign of God's blessing in the Old Testament is that he brings his people into a spacious place, into a, you know, a, a large and spacious place. And of course, Rehoboth, the, the well that gets, there's room enough, um, there's room enough. And, and actually, it's about creating space for God's people to do what he's called them to do, for the community of God's people to to grow in who they're called to be and to to function together in partnership with God to, to change this world, to change our city, to change our, our towns and our nation. And so it's creating space for people to do that. And trying to tightly control everything just doesn't work. Actually, where people come alive and do, because we can't do, I think I probably did try for a while as a leader to like, oh, so I'm going to do everything now and I'm going to make our church amazing and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And suddenly you realize you just, you have not got the capacity to change, I don't know, your own street, let alone um, the whole of your city on your own. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I know it's kind of, again, I'm in tension here with the truth of you can change the world, and but suddenly you realize actually single-handedly, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do everything. I've got to, what I can do is create space for God's people to be who they are, to fulfill the callings upon their lives. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure I got there, but um, creating space for people I think is really, really important, creating that environment where people can have a go, where they can step out and then it's about boundaries because God's people had room enough they had a space, God brought them into a spacious place but he still gave them borders he still gave them boundaries and I just reflected on that that actually that's part of what we do as well we create a wide and spacious place but we put healthy boundaries in place where we can say to people, just go for it you know, have a go, step out, do this. But here's some principles, here's some here's some truths, here's the truth that can keep you in a safe place, as wide and spacious as it is. There's room enough for you to, to have a go and be all that you are and all that you're called to be. But here's your safety around, here's your boundary around you that knows that you can go for that, knowing I'm in a safe place. Um, yeah. So that was a decision that turned out um, to be wrong. Um, a decision that turned out to be right, um, kind of related to that, um, would be that. So as we were grappling with this whole thing of it's not working, we felt God speak to us about um, planting congregations again. Um, we called them sites um, because at the time I was reading books about this praise of multi-site church. Um, and obviously we have to have a new name because that's what you do when you do something that's failed in the past. You call it something different the second time around and you insist to your congregation this is not the same thing at all because actually it's, um, you know, it's an entirely different principle. And we're moving forward and have you ever heard about tacking? Um, <laughs> so, um, so we were having sites not congregations. Oh no, not congregations. Um, and... Um, I just really felt God, God saying, okay, because something didn't work in the past, 
Um, it doesn't mean that there was a problem with the thing. You've got to look at what the circumstances were and why it didn't work. Um, it wasn't because any particular model is... I think most of us are probably starting to discover, aren't we, that there is no easy kind of like, this model always works. It's different models work in different contexts, don't they, in different environments and different situations. And you're trying to find out which one works in which context. So we just felt God challenging us. Actually, there's something different to this whole idea of the bigger box. Um, and um, we, at the time, through involvement with um, with the network that we're now part of Pioneer, we've heard about this um, partnership with um, Methodist churches around the country, and and I just felt really stirred. I've come from a Methodist church, I got saved in a Methodist church. Not many people have that partnership. Okay, so Pioneer has a partnership um, where we're deliberately trying to, I mean, we'll work with anyone, but we're deliberately um, trying to work with the Methodist church, particularly where they have small and struggling um, congregations, saying what can we do in terms of having an ongoing presence in that community. Um, Methodist Church, to varying extents, in some places more so than others, but kind of saying, yeah, we love the idea that there would be an ongoing witness uh, and that you could build on the heritage of what God's done in this area where they recognize that maybe they're not in a place of strength to do that. Um, so, so we were quite excited about that. Um, and I felt that kind of personal connection somehow um, it, it did really help in meetings where, where I had kind of like Methodist ministers looking really skeptically at me, who are you, new church upstart, um, trying to come and tell us how to do things. To be able to say, talk really positively about getting saved and Methodist, it just seemed to open up doors and um, just to know their lingo and their language. So you, you see how God kind of weaves things together across the years. Um, so just talking with them felt like this This just feels like a God-given opportunity. And it went against all of my kind of frame of reference because, it, you know, I had, had people saying to me, right, so you're baptizing babies now and, you're, um, you know, you get involved in all this traditional church stuff and I found that suddenly I was tolerating things that I just never thought I would have been able to tolerate. I mean, Steve will tell you, I wasn't kind of like known as Mr. Church Unity and um, and yet there was this, that God was doing something and God was all over it and, and it just felt right. So it was a case of having to kind of like get out of the box and do things differently and you know, King's House is quite corporate looking and it's quite, you know, it's a conference center so it's quite, you know, good standard and suddenly we were meeting in this wreck of a building with paint peeling off the walls and mold in the corner and there's just like clutter everywhere um, and it's just like, it's everything that I was like, we've left those days behind and, um, and, and yet there was, as we started to meet there, um, a vibrancy and a life um, and um, we um, recently had I mean, we probably started about 60 or so people um, it's a year on we're now about 100 um, and um, just give us some context where that is so it's about four three miles from three miles maybe from King's House 
um, down the road in a very um, a very multicultural area, a very strong um, Muslim population in the area. I'm prayer walking around the area before we decided that we would go for that one. So it all came about because I met with like the Methodist hierarchy and talked about the idea, and they said, well, we've got this building here, and I was walking around the area, and I was like, oh, no, this is no good for Muslim. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And so God had to speak to me as like, do you think I have a problem with winning Muslim people? Um, and so that was a thought. Um, and, and also just about the church not giving up on any area, not saying, oh, this is like a good area for church, or this is a, but actually, you know, actually I want my kingdom to fill the whole earth. So, um, so we started meeting there. Where was that That's fine. Yeah, what's that? Fun. Yeah, so we, we got to 100. We had um, an anniversary um, kind of party this last Sunday, and we were just blown away. We just, like, put some food on. Um, we had halal food, which was, like, really stretching me doctrinally. Um, and, um, but the community all, like, turned up, and we had all these Muslims in full um, headscarves and, you know, some of them in the complete works, and... Um, Grand packed full this building was, um, and people said Muslims saying to us, "We thought Christians hated us, um, and we just feel loved, and we feel accepted, and we feel like the church cares about us." Um, and it was really quite emotional. And um, and then some, a couple of the, the Methodists. There's about ten of them in the Methodist church. They still meet separately to us. Um, we had the worst church meeting. Ever. So if you think you can't grow your church because of your circumstances, we meet at 12.15 um, every Sunday at 12.15 with the Methodist church before us and then the Zimbabwean Methodist congregation straight after us. We have 15 minutes to pack down after we say the last prayer. We have 15 minutes to get out of the room and into the other half of the building where we carry on with two and coffee before they're in. So it's just like all the circumstances are wrong, but God's grace is upon the situation. Um, so it's just amazing. Um, we're just loving it. And, it, and it's, a, it, it's a right decision that, what, that didn't tick all the boxes of, you know, you're kind of like how to go about church growth or, but it's finding that, it's finding that where God's grace is and saying, I'll go with that. I'll go with that because that's probably that's probably going to make more for more success than having all those. As much as we can learn the techniques, sorry, um, but um, as much as we can benefit from all those techniques, there's something when you find God's favour is just in this, and it's the wisdom of God that puts yeah. the wisdom of man to shame. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Richard was talking about at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 50. And we would love to see you on Thursday, the 27th of October for our hangout with Steve Addison on multiplying disciples and churches.